Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm your host, Andrew Davidson, based in New York. And today we're going to be debunking some of the myths and stereotypes surrounding Generation Z, the generation that came after the millennials and precedes Generation Alpha, and who we define at Mintel as those born between 1997 and 2010. So that puts them between the ages of 12 to 25 right now, although much of our conversation today will focus on adult Gen Zs. Now, Gen Z is currently transitioning, uh, whether from teen to adult, from school to university, from university to first job, to first car, first home, whatever it might be. And they're doing so at a time of tremendous volatility that will shape their outlook for years to come. They might not be where the money is right now for brands, but of course, they will be in the near future. But what is fact or fiction when it comes to this generation? And what does it mean for brands and marketers? So to to discuss this, we're going to be doing things a little differently today. First, joining me to examine this topic, I have a great panel of Mintel experts from across the globe. So panel, if you could please introduce yourselves. Great. Hi, everyone. I'm Diana Kelter. Um, I am based in Austin, Texas, and my role at Mintel is the Associate Director of Consumer Trends, uh, focusing on North American trends coverage. So my job is to really look at macro trends impacting consumer behavior, which includes um, understanding how our trends are impacting Gen Z. Um, I am a millennial, um, but I'm excited to talk about this generation today. Yeah, hi, Andrew. Uh, my name is Johnny Forsyth. I'm director of Mintel Food and Drink. I'm uh, based out of London, so not, not nearly as, as hipster as, as Austin. Um, and basically, I'm, I'm now going to do a shameless plug for uh, an upcoming report, which I've got on Gen Z globally. And I've really spent the last six weeks immersed in loads and loads of data points and, and really getting my head around this, this generation. So I'm, I'm really, really um, excited about the call. And I'm Ana Paula, I'm from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I'm senior analyst for food and drink and also lifestyle in Brazil uh, and for Latam. And I wrote the last Gen Z reports for Brazil uh, here in our market. Excellent. So we have, we have a great uh, global perspective is one of the great things about this, uh, this podcast. So in addition to our panel, and really to keep us grounded in reality, we have two U.S based members of Generation Z, who also happen to be marketing intelligence experts on the Compare Media team at Mintel, but are here today to represent the views of their generation. So no pressure. Uh, Please introduce yourselves. Hello, uh, my name is Andy Coleman, and I'm an associate research analyst on the Compare Media team here at Mintel. With regards to my Gen Z experience, I live with two roommates in an apartment, and in my free time, I like to play video games, spend time with friends or family, and scroll through social media with a particular interest in sports. Excellent. A bit of a glimpse into the uh, Gen Z lifestyle. Yes. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Marissa Prize. I'm the I'm a digital marketing analyst um, at Mintel based in Chicago. Um, some things about me uh, that also kind of characterize me as Gen Z is that I like to prioritize my health and well-being. I've been in therapy since eighth grade. Um, I live alone with my cat, um, who I treat as a child. Um, and I also um, really love TikTok 
including um, the corn song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been hearing about that. So only you're going to have to, gonna have to sing that to us. Yeah. You're going to have to sing that to us now. Um, excellent. Excellent. Well, yes. Well, so, so the way I'm going to do this, I'm going to read out a statement or a recent headline specifically associated with Generation Z. And then I'd like to get your reaction. First, we'll get the reaction from the panel. Uh, and then I'll go to Andy and Marissa for their sort of reaction from as sort of spokespersons for Generation Z. So first up, uh, is a statement and that statement is that Generation Z is experiencing a mental health crisis. Uh, a recent study from the Mayo Clinic in the US found that one in three college students uh, experience significant depression and anxiety. So fact or fiction? So as a member of the panel, I'll go ahead and kick us off here. I'm going to go ahead and say this is a fact, um, that there is a mental health crisis among this generation. And I have a couple perspectives. I'm curious to hear from other panel members if they agree or disagree and our Gen Z uh, panel. But um, this is a fact. And I really, as a millennial, I feel like this started with that millennial generation of experience experiencing. We hear a lot about burnout with millennials. We hear a lot about anxiety and depression. It started there. I think it's just reached uh, more momentum with Gen Z. And I have to say, I, my background before Mintel was in social media. And I really think it comes back to the 24-7 connection when you have, especially for Gen Z, when they've grown up with social media in middle school, in high school, and then college, it's obviously given them so much to have to pay attention to when their brains aren't even fully developed to handle that much information. So it clearly makes sense that they would be dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression and stress and burnout. But my other perspective, and Marissa, I think you led into this perfectly for me, is, and this is where I'll be curious to get uh, if people agree or disagree, I, in some ways, maybe they don't have more mental health, even though obviously from the social media, but they're just more open and vulnerable about it. Whereas previous generations are not willing to admit they have these issues. Um, one of our mental health and well-being reports that published this year for the U.S. specifically, it was self-reported where your mental health is. So our participants, our, our um, uh, our panel was asked to say what their mental health was, and 40% of boomers, or 41% of boomers and 40% of Gen X said their mental health was good, where only a quarter of Gen Z said their mental health was good. And we know from that self-reported data, people tend to want to be more pleasing than honest. So I think there is just this honesty among Gen Z. They're saying we're not okay. Um, so it might not be that they have more than other generations, um, but it might be that they're just more open about it. I've looked at this from a global perspective and we see it doesn't matter what the geography see the same thing that mm. in terms of self-reporting Gen Z are saying that they, they're, they're having more anxiety, more sleep issues, more more depression. So it's really, really interesting uh, to me what Dana was saying. You know, Is this about them just being more open with it? Uh, I'm a Gen Xer. I've spent my whole career trying to hide my multiple mental health issues. So, you know, I really, I kind of admire, I admire this, this, this much, you know, more, more mentally, mentally health open um, generation. But um, I, I, I think there is more to it than that. And one of the um, one of the really comprehensive studies that was done on this was by a, um, a professor called, uh, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce her name, whether it's Twang or Twenge, but she has basically been studying US generations for, for 30 years. And she looked at the data back in 2012 and suddenly the, the mental health data was falling off a cliff. 
And, you know, this is someone who's very experienced about drawing out what, what is about just being a younger person versus actual differences for, for each generation. And she, she really d- dug into the data and realized that actually this is the first generation that has never known life without a smartphone. And, you know, in many ways, the Gen Z are an experiment in society because their brains are being formed as they're having uh, an inordinate amount of screen time and no other human generation has actually gone through that before and we still don't understand what what the long-term implications of that are um but the, 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 you know, if we look at, at, at the data and we look at um, you know, the level of, of suicides, level of, of depression and all those kind of data points, there's no question that it, that it is real. And um, I think a lot of it is caused by, by technology. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I was listening to, there was another, there was a podcast just on, um, you know, mental health amongst adolescents uh, here in the US. And one of the interesting sort of indicators was just, uh, you know, the fact that pediatricians apparently are having to sort of, they're not prepared, they're not trained, and that some of the issues that they dealt with, you know, like you say, Johnny, like 10, 15 years ago, where people were coming in with physical issues, now they're coming in with these mental issues and they don't actually have the training and the back uh, the background to actually uh, deal with it. But obviously, it's an extremely complex issue. Um, there's obviously lots of multiple layers to it. Uh, obviously, when we think about what this means for brands and marketers, is there a role for brands and marketers you know, how should they be responding to this? Um, you know, what, you know, what should brands be doing about it? I, I definitely think it's a, a tricky space for brands to engage, like you're saying, Andrew, because it is so complex. But I do think when you put a name to something, it helps people understand these very broad and complex issues. So, for example, um, like with something like depression, it can range in so many degrees. Um, I remember there was a podcast back during the pandemic, Michelle Obama came out saying she had low grade depression and she explained what that meant. And I think that was probably a really eye-opening moment for some people to be like, oh, maybe low grade, it might not be clinical depression, but maybe it just gave a term of like giving it some identity of what you might be experiencing. And I feel like when people hear, they feel a little bit more empowered when they can put in name to something um, and understand that and brands can play a role in just giving that kind of whether it is eco anxiety whether it is um, just kind of feeling late maybe you're languishing that was a term that came out during the pandemic but just giving more words to put to these issues I think brands can play a role in just helping identify some of these spaces even though they're not um, professionals and they don't want to engage in that territory of diagnosing by any means Um, but comfort is where brands can play a role and I think brands can also play a role in thinking more holistically about mental health because we often focus on the individual being vulnerable but when it comes to mental health there's always a person being vulnerable and a listener and I think the listener is becoming your colleague it's becoming your friend it's becoming your um it could be your therapist but then there's so many more people that are also having to be that listener so helping people think collectively about mental health I think can be a place for brands to play a role as well. 
Yeah, for, from my perspective, I um, I think it's a difficult one because brands aren't doctors at the end of the day, so they, they need to understand that they, they can only have have a, a limited role, and I, th- I think that's quite important. Um, but they, they're, they're definitely influential, and uh, I look at food and drink, so examples of that come to mind where I thought brands have done a good job is Starbucks uh, have three-minute meditations, and they partner with, I think it's called... Um, I can't remember the name of the app now, but it's a it's a, a mindfulness app and headspace. headspace. That's it. Thank you. And essentially, you can have these three minute coffee mindful meditations, which is a great idea because the amount of times that I guzzle down my coffee and I love the taste of coffee, and actually, it's quite nice for brands to to remind us to to take those moments in the day. So I think if they can nudge behaviours in that way, then that 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 could be really effective. I wouldn't necessarily recommend a brand uh, do this, but but a really interesting example I've seen is from the beauty brand Lush, who actually left its social media accounts and essentially uh, went on this digital detox and has announced, you know, that it expects to lose ten million dollars in yearly sales revenue as a result of this stand. But it's quite an interesting positioning because it's quite unique. So actually, it's uh, it, it's quite an interesting way to differentiate that brand, uh, even though it's not not necessarily something I, w- I would encourage for, for mainstream brands, given how important the, the digital uh, social media space is, is for this 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 cohort. Um, I think one important thing is from the food and drink perspective as well, is that we are seeing a lot of claims focus on on cognitive and emotional well-being and mental well-being and being responsible with this with its claims as well because we are saying that it's a beverage that could help with the to have more energy or to sleep well uh, and this is also some some regulatory issues uh, around this as well so being responsible with these claims i don't know if um if people, if, if Gen Z are investing, if these products, how they can really see this difference, like it's, it's, they will, they will feel like this. So this, this way, I think the holistic thing, it's maybe, I don't know, also something that you can, and you can do with the functional claims, because it's, if you, you are saying that your product is to relax, your product is to, it's to promote emotional and, and, and mental well-being, something to work but you need to understand if this is true and mm. how this works in for your specific market i have a lot of data also talking about the people that trust in the brands and maybe some brands can start from inside like uh, as we are talking out so much about burnout and all this stuff start this, the process from their employees and doing this from the inside out to show that they really are committed with this mental and emotional well-being uh, from the inside out as well. That's a great point. So, so obviously, it's a complex issue for a brand. It's a, there's obviously some sensitive areas as they sort of think about how to handle this. But let, you know, let's uh, turn to our Gen Z representative, uh, Andy, Marissa. You've, you've heard what our panel has to say about this topic. Now, what does it What does it mean for you? What What, what resonated? First of all, I would say, yes, I definitely think Gen Z is experiencing a mental health crisis. Um, I think it 
mostly has to do because of two factors. Um, one being that, yes, um, like Johnny was mentioning, we are exposed to so much technology. We were basically the first generation to grow up with social media and a smartphone and the internet, all accessible at our fingertips. Um, the same thing goes, um, you know, in addition to social media, why maybe we're experiencing, I mean, um, you know, mental health crisis is, you know, there is all this information out there. Um, you know, we're constantly judging ourselves. Um, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others because we have this information out there. And a, a point to Diana um, mentioning maybe we're a little hypochondriac, um, maybe because we Google our symptoms, maybe because we don't know, um, you know, what is going on with us. So we look it up and we have that, all of that information right in front of us. Um, you know, I also think a big factor that comes into play is the environment. Um, you know, again, because we are so exposed to so many informational facts, like social media, we have the news, we have everything at our fingertips. Um, you know, I'm not saying that other generations didn't have adversity when they were growing up. Um, I'm not saying that they didn't have global pandemics or other crises that happened. I'm just saying that we had the access. We had the ability to see this at every moment, at every single point in time. And it's not saying that we're scared about the, or we're not like unopportunistic about the future, but we're uncertain about the future. Um, you know, and to your point also about, you know, brands, you know, coming into play, um, you know, me being a big, um, TikTok person, I will say, um, you know, there's one brand that really sticks out to me in terms of mental health, um, on TikTok and that's, um, better help. Um, it is a, you know, they have therapists online and all this stuff, but how they present it is, you know, you scroll through, you're scrolling through and there's an ad for better help and it comes up and they're saying, Oh, questions that I asked my therapist. Oh, I was feeling this way and I didn't know what to do. So, you know, I went to a therapist. Um, another thing that TikTok does, you know, it, it is a learning curve, you know, social media has changed a lot over the years because of you know, what they've been seeing this younger generation has, you know, been going through, um, you know, TikTok, even, you know, you're scrolling, <laughs> you're scrolling for a couple hours and TikTok pops up and says, hey, I see you've been scrolling for a while. Why don't you go and have a drink to have a, have a glass of water <laughs> you know, like get, off, get off the TikTok and they tell you they yeah. tell you and it's you know and it's like we, we've been exposed to so much and it's not saying that we're not looking for I mean there's just so much going on and we have to stay you know I'm like super I'm, a, I'm one of the most positive people and I learned that in therapy actually like how to turn everything into a positive situation to get through um, you know it's it's hard it's it's a hard thing that we're going through and living through um, and again like Diana said I think we are very honest we are very open um, I think that's because we want change we want to tell people about what is happening. We want change to mm -hmm. take place. And how are we going to do that? We're going to use our voice. Um, on TikTok, you can, on any social media platform, you can become famous or make do anything over oh, right overnight. Um, it's it's amazing, um, but it's also kind of scary. Yeah. Can I, I wanted to pick up on one point you made, and I, because I, there's a general assumption this is all about social media, but I think you alluded it to earlier when you just, when it, in, in, in some of your uh, narrative there, is that it's much broader than that, right? It's about the information overload <laughs> that this 
generation has, not just about social media. I think there's generally assumption that, oh, yes, it was. it's all about social media, but it's broad, broader than that. Is, would you agree? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it broader, though? Isn't the, the information that's come from social media and you're surrounded by it all the time? Um, because I, I was really taken by your point about how there's so much information because when I was growing up, I, I pretty much blocked out the world and had no interest in it whatsoever. And it seems to me like younger people are kind of overeducated and almost kind of, you know, 10 years ahead of where ideally they, they would be in terms of the amount of information that, about the world that they'd incorporated. Mm. I was, I was just going to say, Johnny, yes, I, I think, and I, this is as speaking as someone who's a parent of an 18 and a 15-year-old who, you know, it's, yes, it's social media, but it's also the entire environment, you know, the pressure to get grades, mm-hmm. you know, that's coming from your parents, your family, your friends, the peer pressure, yeah, you know, to be the best continuous, continuously. So, yes, there's a social media piece, but it's also a broader, you know, Marissa mentioned Google, you know, it's, it's not, it's just the, the broader informational environment. When we were growing up, there was just yeah. less information. And you're right about the parents. I think parents um, have are putting more pressure on their kids to get better grades and almost realising that there's a more competitive world and trying to prepare their children for it. And I think, I think that adds to this, this pressure cooker environment. Yeah. But with that, with the grades too, I mean, this is something I don't necessarily agree with, with Generation Z that, you know, you compete in a sport or something. Andy, I know you do sports um, and everyone gets a trophy. Um, Everyone gets a trophy just for participating, not because you're the actual winner. Um, You know, that's something that, you know, I think I don't know what that's going to lead into in the, into the future or whatnot that everyone should be. I mean, yes, everyone should be treated equally, but you know, those people that do actually put in the work and, and do make, you know, push themselves and, and, you know, win should actually be rewarded for that. Um, you know, it's not like if you lose, it's, it's okay. You get back and you try up again. It's not that everyone is always a winner. You're not always winning at, at everything. Um, you know, again, too, I, I was going to make a point too, that, um, you know, again, it's not just social media. I think it's, it's, it's everything like it's sports, it's school, it's your parents, it's, um, what's going on in the world around us at all times. There's, there's always something happening and you have to find a way to cope with that. And that's why I think Gen Z is outspoken and we're, we're saying these things because it's like, we, we don't know how to process it. We don't, we don't know what to, how to, handle this whole situation. I mean, I saw some statistic. I, I'm not, I don't have it pulled up or anything. I don't know, but I know that like puberty now for kids is, is coming two, three years earlier than it, mm-hmm. than it used to. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a, it's a key. That's one of the key drivers is this mental health, health issue because um, the rest of the brain is not developed. I was just thinking and there's maybe it's also the so if you agree Marissa maybe it's also the time to to deal with the things because it's a lot of information we have like processing puberty earlier so maybe it's too much things mm-hmm. to process in our time we have more maybe time to sit in one question for one week without everybody's talking about it and changing the subject so maybe it's also the time to process all this different stuff and all this yeah that's a really interesting point actually Maybe that's why we use anxiety so much because it's it's like anxiety. It's like I need to understand this now and now we have this and this and this and this.
I was just going to say, uh, going off of that, I think a big part of the mental health crisis that we see um, amongst younger people right now is trying to determine who you are with all of this information um, coming at you so quickly. It's really difficult to form like value-based opinions about, you know, what you think is important, what you believe in when you're consistently getting information that contradicts um, itself over and over again. Um, and additionally, I think with regards to social media, um, I think it's important to also consider the fact that it is more often than not people communicating with people and how that is very different than it ever has been before with this idea of the mask of the internet. Um, more often than not, people are not very friendly online. Um, I think that obviously, you know, getting so many negative things said about you, about your friends, about things that you care about and believe in and internalizing that on a minute to minute or, you know, day to day basis. Um, it doesn't seem like something that would have a good impact on mental health. Uh, so, yeah, this is my two cents yeah. on that. <laughs> well, I mean, that, I mean, that in itself is fascinating, uh, some fascinating perspectives. All right. So next up. Um, a headline from Forbes from June of this year, and that headline was that Gen Z demand racial justice, not just diversity, equity, and inclusion from brands. So Gen Z demand racial justice, not just diversity, equity, and inclusion from brands. Fact or fiction? Um, so as the macro trends person, I'll kick us off. Um, I'm going to say there's a fact here, but also maybe a little fiction when we focus this specifically on Gen Z. So I do think there's a fact here that this generation considers themselves activists and they use that term broadly um, to bring attention to, yes, um, a racial reckoning, um, just overall like social ethics. I think they're demanding more from brands. But I think if we look to history, we know there was huge civil rights movements in the 60s and there was a lot of uprisings. Um, we saw both with racial reckoning, LGBTQ plus rights. There was a lot of protests well before um, Gen Z and millennials were born. I think it just looks different now. And I don't want to keep bringing the conversation back to social media, but I think it just is the heart of so many trends. Um, and it could go beyond social media. It could be like just information access, all that. But I just think it looks differently because they have a platform to demand more on a 24-7 basis and brands can't ignore that. They can't. Uh, and because brands are specifically being called out on the same platform where they're trying to make their platform get heard and sell their product. So it can't be ignored. But I think to say that this generation is more invested or cares more might not be true because I think we saw those protests happening long before and those mm. people were very passionate about change. I think to some degree as people age, maybe you get a little bit more cynical, you're you kind of the world kind of, you know, brings people where they just get a little more disempowered to feel that. Um, that's why we always see it's the youngest set of consumers that are out there protesting, they're uh, making change because they feel that empowerment still. They haven't been disenfranchised by the world quite yet. Um, so I do think there is fact here. This is an activist-focused generation, and they're global um, connected because of um, digital technology. They see what's happening um, in Asia. They see what's happening in Brazil. They see what's happening. Up, so they just have this broader awareness. Um, but to say that they care more than previous generations did when they were um, out of university and, and their first job, I think that might be a little bit fiction. But curious what other people say. 
Yeah, really interesting points there. Um, I'll I, I just give this a slightly more global uh, spin because um, I've, I've been looking at this in, in, in different regions. And, you know, a lot of the focus, say, in, uh, in the West is um, on, um, on, on, on things like the LBTQ rights and, um, uh, and race. It, it's a little bit different if we go to, to different parts of the world. So, you know, that, that's less of an issue, for example, in Asia. Um, when actually um, uh, what people are more concerned about and what, what is more of an emerging issue there is uh, female empowerment. So there are some slight uh, global differences. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree that I think it's um, it's something that, that younger generations have, have always done, uh, just that this current generation has, has more of a voice on it. Uh, but looking at the data, there's no question that uh, this generation feels very, very strongly about equality. And I'm, I'm really interested actually to know from uh, Andy and Marissa why that is. You know, one of my working theories I have is that social media has uh, essentially allowed people to, to find their, their own community. And it doesn't matter how niche that community is, they, they can find their own people from a younger age. And, and maybe that's some, something to do with it. But, but I'm really interested to hear, hear their perspective. I agree with Diana said. I think it's like, something that other generations also had done. I have, for example, from one of my reports that 70% of my Gen Z interviewers agree that brands can change society for better. So maybe it's a generation that involve more brands on it. They maybe demand more from brands than the other generations that are not so connected with the brands' voices around this uh, protest and around these subjects. And also, as Johnny said, I, I have this, all this data saying that the Gen Z stands out more for diversity, including racial issues as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a big challenge for brands. And I know certainly when, you know, in the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, there, there was definitely a clear, you know, you could distinguish between, you know, an authentic brand action versus, you know, brands perhaps just sort of give, giving lip service and just sort of communicating something that was just seemed not particularly uh, genuine. Uh, so it's a big challenge. But so what should, how should brands be responding to this now? My view on this is that, that brands need to be really careful. They do need to be aware of it. And they need to try and be more progressive, because ultimately, that's a good thing for their business in terms of recruiting Gen Z's, for example. But I think brands need to be really careful that they don't become obsessed by value-based marketing and forget the fundamentals that are really going to drive their sales. And those are going to be price and, and convenience. And if it's food and drink, it's going to be taste. And I've seen brands get a bit caught up in the trying to be right on and and losing sight of that. And a brand that's a, a case study I think is really interesting is Shane, which is, um, again, I, I keep talking about beauty. I actually work in food and drink, but they're, they're a fast fashion brand that I've come across that are incredibly popular amongst Gen Z because they're always on TikTok and you've got the, the latest fashions and very unsustainable because you're constantly buying new clothes. Um, they have been widely criticized in the media for, for not paying their, their staff very well, the reason that the price is so low. And it's Gen Z who's actually fueling their growth. And the reason is because they're cheap and they're convenient and you look great. So, you know, I really think brands should try and do the right thing from a business perspective, but I think they, they, they need to be careful that they, they don't become sidetracked from, from, from the fundamentals. I would just build upon um, what was being said by saying um, that brands really have to think about 
operational changes versus one-off like campaigns or an Instagram kind of campaign that might bring awareness to something. But I think at the end of the day, as um, uh, the Gen Z panel is highlighting, they want to see product changes. They want to see broader behind the scenes impacts, not just something that's giving lip service to something. So I think one unique campaign from um, a racial perspective was Airbnb um, said they're going to do initials for guests who are um, trying to get a um, home share because they noticed there was racial bias happening when people would discriminate against the name. Um, so they're doing initials instead, and they're going to be able to benchmark if just seeing initials actually removes some of the stigma of racial bias. And I think that's just a great example of a company operationally changing something. And then that I think as we all want, not just Gen Z, we want to see progress. So if you can say like, racial bias decreased by 40%. And here's the data. (laughs) We're a data company. So I think when there can be data put to something that is really going to stand out to people as well. Sorry, you might have to edit that out. I think your your dog agrees with you. Yeah, she clearly agrees with me. So we're definitely keeping that in. Um, Quality is clearly very important to us. All right. So, okay. So let's turn again to our Gen Z representatives. I mean, so you've heard what the panel has to say about your generation focusing on equality and social justice. Um, what's your take? Yeah. And my, I guess what I was going to say was kind of going to respond to that. Um, I think, and it also kind of um, relates to Johnny's point as well um, about, you know, being careful with regards to marketing um, equality, because I think there is also a fine line to toe between this idea of um, everybody being equal and also celebrating unique differences. Um, I think that that is something that's becoming more um, like increasingly important very recently. I've noticed especially is this idea of affinity. And yeah, that's that's kind of just, you know, things in affinity appropriation. Uh, those are two ideas that are also, you know, very top of mind. Um, for people right now and relevant. And this again, goes back to our broader discussion of social media about con- like conflicting information and uh, what is kind of the uh, moral high ground, so to speak, of opinions to have and what falls short of that. And I think anything that comes from um, sort of a corporate voice through marketing is more likely than not to be seen as something that falls short. One uh, campaign that really resonated with me was Dove's Real Beauty campaign. Um, Basically, it's centered around uh, promoting non-traditional forms of beauty, uh, as we've seen in traditional advertising. Uh, That includes um, both men and women of all different ages, body types, and ethnicities. Um, And the big thing about the campaign is that they don't manipulate or distort any of their images um, to really allow people to get that authentic experience. You know, I have seen a lot of brands, you know, change their marketing um, in terms of being more diverse and being more inclusive, Um, you know, especially in the beauty and cosmetics world, um, you know, people of my generation are awarding or we're, we're, you know, we we love to see a brand that includes, you know, 60, 70 different shade variations. We love to see a brand that, you know, is 
has inclusive marketing. Um, you know, one for specifically that comes to top of mind is Victoria's Secret and their pink campaigns. Um, you know, they've started including um, men wearing their clothes. They started including transgender women wearing their clothes. Um, you know, and that's something that, you know, stands out to us that, oh, this brand is is caring about our concerns and that we, we see everyone as equal. We don't see, you know, a color. We don't see a gender. We don't see, you know, we don't, we don't see that, um, you know, everything should be, it, it, it shouldn't be so mainstreamed and so um, particular. Like we want that inclusion. Okay. So this last headline is from CNBC um, and it is this. So the CNBC headline, the environment is Gen Z's number one concern and some companies are taking advantage of that. The environment is Gen Z's number one concern, and some companies are taking advantage of that. Fact or fiction? So I'm going to say there is, once again, a mixture of fact and fiction here. (laughs) So I do think it's a fact that this generation is hyper aware of climate change, and they are thinking about this not just in the present, but they're thinking about their own future. And I think the environment is going to play a big role in some of the upcoming life stages that is going to surround this generation. Because as you mentioned at the start of this podcast, they're in a state of transition. They're getting their first jobs. They're starting to think about um, put down the road marriage, down the road home ownership. All those big life stages are upcoming for this generation. And I think they're going to follow a similar trajectory that we saw for millennials, where it's not going to be obviously one kind of linear sweep of all this generation kind of following into those lines. And I think the environment's going to play a huge role for this generation in those because where they choose to live, um, you hear in the headlines all the time, there's a wildfire here, flooding here. Um, and so it's really going to be top of mind for where they choose to live. There was a headline in Forbes not that long ago about people putting climate change front and center about where they're choosing to live. And we know the pandemic already shaped a lot of those lifestyle decisions about where people wanted to live. And so I think climate change is going to be front and center for that. I think it's going to impact whether they choose to have children or not. And I think all those life stages is just going to be top of mind. So from that perspective, it's a fact. It's top of mind for them. They're paying attention to it. I think where it's overhyped is that that's the only thing they care about when making decisions from brands. I think that is not true. And I think that convenience and um, quality and all those factors that is part of every consumer's decision is the same for Gen Z. And I think it's a disservice to act like they're this um, halo generation that's going to save us all and that they only care about that. They're humans like the rest of us and they want quick, immediate service. They want products that are going to work, not just be sustainable. I do think there's some elements where as a generation, they've pushed forward and made change. Um, Our Gen Z experts can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think when it comes to like plastic water bottles, for instance, they've really kind of stepped away from that and they are all about the reusable water bottles. And I think that one movement is something that they've done. Um, But I think when it comes to like never buying from a fast fashion brand or never um, buying something because the packaging is too extreme, I don't think that's really relevant to this generation or like the number one priority, I should say. Uh, From my last report in Brazil, we have data that Yes, when they when I asked several causes that Gen Z support, the environment was the top of mind one. 
but also was the top of mind one for other generations. And when where I really noticed the difference was the social injustice part that we already talking about, the racial and the the gender equality, this stuff. Um, I was previously discussing with Johnny about this, and I think we had this uh, region also impacting, like he's, uh, he said, the for some places, the gender thing, it's more an issue now, uh, a combat, uh, something that needs to be combated. Um, maybe that's but i think it's it's also very important and i think it, it's also what diana said about uh the price sometimes the sustainable brands are have a higher price or they people gen z just can afford it that to pay them mm-hmm. or they are looking for another thing for convenience for example i was really using the same example as junior said about chain that it's a heel a huge fast fashion uh chinese here in brazil as well uh, and it's also something that people are buying this generation are buying uh, but uh, we know that i'll how much the fast fashion impacts in the environment so i think it's it's exactly what diana said it's it's not that all the decisions are going to be about it but this is a top of mind yeah well, well that was some, so definitely some agreement there so okay so let's turn to our gen z representatives one more time uh what do you what do you both think um i was just going to say i so i agree with what both of you have said um in for the most part, uh, in terms of it being top of mind, but not necessarily the most important thing, I think for many people um, from the Gen Z generation, price still remains the most important factor when making purchasing decisions. Um, that being said, I think that um, if there were two products that were priced equally and one of them was a sustainable product, I think for most of Gen Z, they would um they would take they would they would make that decision over the the non-sustainable one um when it comes to like how much of a price point are people willing to sacrifice i don't know the answer to that but i definitely think that our generation more than past generation well i I believe that our generation is the first one to kind of fully even acknowledge that climate change is occurring um so i think people who have been fighting for the environment have been fighting a previously more uphill battle than they you know, than they are now, now that we have science to back it up and kind of widespread acceptance of the fact that this is occurring. Um, I think that as we move forward, brands who promote sustainability and align with that will be more successful than ones who don't. Definitely. I I would have to agree with you, Andy. Um, You know, when I'm in a store and I see a name brand thing and a sustainable option. Um, even there's like 10 different types of eggs now, like free range. <laughs> like there's so many different things, you know, that come into the environment and, and all these different, you know, products coming out into the market. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, if it's priced the same, I'm going to choose that over over a name brand option. Um, if it's price, I, I don't exactly, like I don't know the exact price, but it is a concern. The environment is a concern from us. We're conscious of it. We're aware of it. Um, are we basing every single decision that we make off of it? No, I I don't think so. I think our number one top concern, um, like you mentioned, Diana, would probably be more about the, um, 
you know, the injustices that we're seeing and, um, you know, the inclusivity that we want to see, the equality that we want to see. Um, yes, the environment is a huge factor and we are conscious of it, but it's not our number one concern, as CNBC would say. Excellent. Well, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. Um, and you've all provided some really um, valuable input. I, I think there's, when I think about some of the sort of the big takeaways, three big takeaways, I think, for me, when I think about this, is you know, cynics might um, attribute like general differences generational differences to things like age or life stage but gen z has definitely has some distinct and some different needs um that are important for marketers to a understand um and b you know adapt to uh, so that's that's the, that's one i think the second sort of big takeaway is kind of related to that and it comes down to understanding i think it's been fascinating having both sort of a, a panel of intel experts but also having this dialogue with um uh, marissa and andy um who's sort of like sort of keeping us sort of grounded because it shows how much variety how much nuance there are there is behind the headlines behind the stereotypes so from a marketing perspective you know, it's all about getting beyond the obvious, you know, to really sort of uncover uh, true understanding. And then the third sort of uh, sort of key takeaway, I think this is obviously a big opportunity for brands to be more relatable uh, to this generation, to your generation, Generation Z. You know, digital tools exist uh, for brands to do that, but it's about putting it all together in a relevant, meaningful, you know, authentic way. So with that, you know, I want to say thank you to our panel, Diana, Anna, Paola, and Johnny. Uh, thank you, Andy and Marissa, for being the, the voice of Gen Z. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, the conversation doesn't end here. Head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode and any other episode you have an opinion on. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to Mintel.com. Check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts and sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight community. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. But goodbye for now and we'll catch you next time for a new episode of the Mintel Little Conversation. Mintel.